Well, we're back. Back in friendship. Um, Today, we're going to start with a couple questions for you guys to ask each other and chat for a minute. And here they are, okay? First of all, with the person sitting next to you or near you, think of your closest three friends and tell your neighbor if all of them, some of them, or none of them are Christians. Okay, that's the first thing to do. Second thing, I want you to discuss with your partner, do you think a Christian's closest friends should be Christians or not, and why? Or does it not matter, do you think? Okay? Any questions on the questions? Do they make sense? All right, discuss. All right, what did you guys come up with? What do you think? To the second question, not the first question. Second question, what do you think? Um, Haley. I think you should be Okay, so being friends with someone who isn't a Christian so you can bring them closer to God. Okay. Drew? Okay. All right, good. So we have two very good differing opinions, and we're going to keep those in mind as we go forward today, all right? Now, real quick, we're going to do our quick review here. So true friendship, we're talking about this book. This is actually the last chapter of this book that we're going to go through. Then we're going to go uh, on a few extra topics that he doesn't necessarily cover, all right? So real quick, first, true friendship is crucial, we said, because of Genesis 2.18. It's not good for man to be alone, Then we said true friendship is close. Uh, Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, so friendship is close. True friendship is constant. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, Proverbs 17.17. True friendship is candid, means it's honest. Uh, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the enemies. Kisses of an enemy, Proverbs 27, 5, and 6. And then last week we said true friendship is careful. And we kind of tied these last two together, candid and careful, right? And our author says true friendship will sometimes be candid, but it must always be careful. And one of the verses we use there was Proverbs 12, 18, which says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we should be careful, especially with our words, that we would heal one another and lift each other up and not injure and harm one another. So true friendship is careful. And so that brings us to today, which is going to be true friendship is Christ-centered. That's what we're talking about today. Well, before we do that, though, let me ask, how many of you have ever moved to a new school, switched schools at some point? All right, raise it up high, raise it up high, okay? Quite a few of us, I'd say more than half of us, all right, good. You've moved to a new school, you can put your hands down. Would you agree that one of the first things that's on your mind is making new friends? Would you agree that one of the first things on your mind is making new friends? Yeah? Yes? Yeah? Good. Okay? You generally, it's not like first thing on the radar screen is impressing your teachers or memorizing the school map learning the, the, the dress code. I mean, that's good to know uh, if there is one. But usually, top of our list is making friends, right? We all kind of put up our little friend radars 
and we start like who's going to be my friend and what types of things register on our friend radars when we're trying to make a new friend what are we looking for what do you guys think first thing you're looking for brand new school first day of school fashion sense fashion sense nice yes I think we can that goes without saying for everybody in the room exactly yes Kindness, right, okay. Anything else, that's good. Common interests. Common interests. I, what's that? Humor. humor, okay, good, yeah. They have a sense of humor. Elise? Being mature and not like crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think within the first minute of being in your brand new classroom, I'd say you're looking for kindness. You're looking for that person who makes eye contact with you, who smiles at you who looks at you and says, hi, my name is, you know? It's those types of things that right off the bat communicates kindness, and it also communicates love, and it communicates acceptance, right? So here you are, you're the outsider, and our longing for making friends is a longing to be not the outsider, right? We want to be accepted into the community in some way. I know that for me, first day of fifth grade, my parents sent me to Christian school all the way through fourth grade. Fifth grade, they said, time to face the real world, kicked me out into the public school system. Um, and I was sitting next to this kid. Our desks were next to each other. And I just remember him, kind of, we were kind of sitting there quietly, not doing anything. And then he just goes, and snot, just like all down the front of him. And he's just like, oh, oh, sorry. He's like pulling it. He's like going to the trash can. He's like, excuse me, just a minute, you know? It's everywhere. And then we came back, we kind of smiled at each other, and friendship was formed. And, and that, was, that was all we needed as fifth grade boys, was snot everywhere, and we were friends. And it kind of just, it just breaks the tension, right? And now you can laugh a little bit and uh, start talking to each other. And we were good friends for that entire year. Um, so we're looking for someone to love us. We're certainly looking for someone to accept us. And what I'm going to argue today is one of the reasons for that is that we all have this huge gaping hole in our lives that can be filled, that we long to be filled by being loved and being accepted, that we want love and we want acceptance. And that's one of the things we're going to touch on today, okay? Well, how many of you, having switched schools, let me ask this question, how many of you did not stay close friends with the people that you first connected with, right? So like day number one, a couple people smiled at you, maybe they said you can sit with us at lunch. Six months later, they weren't the people you were sitting with at lunch. Raise your hand if that was kind of like your scenario, okay? Yeah, it's not, not uncommon. Why? Why wasn't it, what was it that down the road were the kind of the deeper things of friendship that caused you to maybe go along with a different group than those first people who reached out to you? Yeah. Right. Okay, so finding out true characters. So they might be nice to you on day one, but they're not exactly someone that you wanted to be friends with down the road when you got to know them a little better. Anything else come to mind? Okay, maybe they kind of rejected you, right? They, they brought the new person in, and, and then you weren't up to snuff in their eyes or something like that, and so we parted ways. Uh-huh. Okay, not helpful conversations, yeah. We already said common interests, right? I think common interests come in 
not necessarily day one, but day, week two, week three, you know, when you start to hang out and you realize we don't really have a whole lot in common, right? And so you start finding people that have more in common with you. Hey, Lee, something else? Yeah. Definitely popularity can factor into it, right? So for some of us, uh, we might realize the person who reached out to us wasn't at the popularity level that we wanted to be hanging out with. And so we start seeking out someone who's more what we think is in our stratosphere of popularity. And that's not always the best, uh, not really ever the best uh, motivation for friends. Um, I don't want to completely like brush it off because... It isn't always about popularity. Um, it is, I know that we think in terms of that in middle school and high school a lot, but a lot of times it's also common interests, you know, that it's not necessarily going to a popular group, but a group that's more like you, right? So for me, you know, it was usually sports. You know, if I sat down and we talked about sports, I knew I would get along well with that group. When I first moved to Jerusalem, um, there were a couple of guys, guy missionaries there, and one of them, I remember in particular, great guy, totally love him. Um, but I remember day one is he's just like, I couldn't care less about what sports are on TV. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> we have nothing in common, except that we're missionaries in Jerusalem together. But yeah, and, and so there's, there's little indicators for me um, as to what I bond with people over to. Well, we started by talking about faith, right? So we started by talking about Christianity and what role should that play in us determining who our friends are going to be moving forward. And so we kind of want to talk about that today. And I know that as I go into that topic, as I even ask this question of friends being Christians or non-Christians, trust me that I know I'm walking on sacred territory for a lot of you, for, for middle and high school students especially Talking about who you can and cannot be friends with is a very sensitive subject. It's not something we take lightly. And you may be tempted in hearing what I say today to just right off the bat disregard what I say. And I want to encourage you not to. I want to encourage you to consider and to think about it. I know that for some of us the application is start thinking about different friends. And that is hard to apply. That's hard to, to swallow, to think, here I've been accepted into a group and you want me to start thinking about changing my group. I know that that's not an easy conclusion to come to. And it's something that I'd be happy to wrestle with and talk through with you. Um, but just, just be prepared that your heart might rebel against some of the things that we studied today, okay? So let's start with the first point. I thought that my words were going to come up first, but I guess that's going to come up first. Let's see here. There are the words. Okay. The hole in our hearts, okay? So the first point is we want to talk about this hole in our hearts. We said earlier that we all have this deep need to feel loved and accepted. Okay? And would you guys agree with that? Yeah, you have a deep need to be loved and accepted. Now, for most of us, family fills that hole in a, in a huge way, more than we even know. And those of us who have difficult family situations could tell the rest of us that when you don't have that peace in your life, there's an even bigger hole than you ever knew was there. For a lot of us, when we have a happy home and things like that, our hole is being filled by our parents. Even though we're in an age where um, we might be wanting to distance ourselves a little bit from mom and dad and go out into the world and be our own selves, 
we still have this safe place that we come back to every night and we're loved and we're accepted no matter what we do, okay? But it doesn't fill it completely. And so friends are a huge part of what we try to do to fill that hole, okay? We're quick to find new friends because we want our hole of love and acceptance to be filled. But the problem, the problem that we don't necessarily realize is that that hole is far bigger than we could ever think or imagine, okay? So we try to fill it with friends and it just doesn't work. So I have an illustration for us to, to go through to see that, all right? Um, I'm, I'm working with what I got, guys. So it's, it's not the prettiest, okay? But here's, here's my little demonstration table, okay? Now, I have this little cup here, okay? This little cup. This represents potentially our whole of love and acceptance that needs to be filled, right? Now, would you guys all agree that our, our, our need for love and acceptance is an ongoing need? It's not like your brother came down and gave you a chocolate chip cookie and you're like, I am satisfied for life. Thank you. I have no more need for love and acceptance. You have filled my hole. No. So that's why I have drilled a hole in the bottom of our uh, cup here, right? Because it's always needing to be filled, right? It always needs to be filled back up um, throughout our whole life, okay? So, let's just have one volunteer come up here. One volunteer. Katie, come on up. All right. Katie, I have a huge bucket of water there, all right? It is your job. This cup represents a friend, okay? So this friend is going to try to fill our need for love and acceptance. So I just want you to keep this cup filled up with water, okay? Let's see if she can do it. All right, there it is, it's full, okay? So keep going. So this friend, this one friend, is able to keep our need for love and acceptance filled, right? If that was really how big our need for love and acceptance was. Excellent job, thank you. You may sit down, okay? Nobody has to use the restroom. <laughs> Speed that up there. Okay, all right. Now, what if our need for love and acceptance was a little bit bigger, okay? Bigger, 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 all right? And we would say that we need a couple of friends to see if they can come and fill it. So a couple of friends. Who's going to be a couple of friends? All right, Adam, Catherine, um, Alec, come on up, all right? We've got three cups. Let's see what they can do here. All right. Can we keep it filled with your three closest friends' friendship? I think this bucket has depression. <laughs> Come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Let's use all the cups. I'm getting the bucket. All right. Well, we'll say that the, that the friends did a sufficient job of keeping you half full, which is optimistic. 
All right. All right. Good job. Give them a round of applause. So we're going to say that that was potentially our need, okay? But our need is much closer to this, okay? And I think we can all assume. I forgot that that is broken. I have better balance than you. That is broken. I can do it. Yes, yeah, time to work with this. All right, you ready, guys? Let's see if we can fill it at side. all. You have to lay Not very successful, right? <laughs> I didn't realize there was a hole on both sides. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There you go. It's just, it's just water. Mark Esther, calm down. It's just water. Yes. <laughs> JJ. Okay. <laughs> what have you done, Nick? Dan's gonna go get some towels, because that's how the idea is. All right, all right, all right, all right. By towels, I meant like bath towels, not paper towels. Hopefully, he understands that. All right, so think about, obviously, that third illustration is pretty drastic. Yeah. Think about the middle one. Think about the milk jug, right? Um, what happens, even with that milk jug, when we ask our friends to fill this void that we have, this hole that we have, for love and acceptance? Well, you saw how Adam and Catherine and Alec, you saw how hard they were working to fill it, right? And yet it, it wasn't being filled up. And what happens is when we ask our friends to fill our need for love and acceptance, we are going to choke them out and suffocate them um, rather than allowing our friendship to flourish. Ultimately, it'll cause us to become manipulative people. It causes us to be controlling towards our friends because we need them. We, you have to come and fill my need for love and acceptance. We get jealous when they interact with other people when they have other friends and hang out with other friends, we become demanding of their time. And at the end of the day, we end up pushing them away rather than getting what we want, which is a close friend. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so here's a quote um, from our book. It says this, If a man tries to find everything in a man or a woman or a friend-friend relationship... He destroys the very thing he wants and destroys the one he loves. He sucks them dry, he eats them up as they, as well as the relationship, are destroyed. And the reason is because when we do this, we're trying to make our friend our savior, right? That's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to have our friend fill the hole 
that we need our Savior to fill. There's only one relationship that can really fill this huge gaping void in us for love and acceptance, and that's our relationship with Jesus. And it's a relationship that's made available through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Because in the cross, Jesus shows both his great love for us, right? Because he's taken our punishment, he's taken our sin, he's taken our place so that he dies, so that we live. What an amazing amount of love he's shown us. And he's also shown us acceptance because by taking our sin, we can be accepted. He gives us his righteousness so that we can stand before him and come into his presence and be part of his family and be part of his kingdom. And so Christ is the one who shows us perfect love and acceptance. And God's love is more like this than anything we've seen. This is what God's love looks like. Right? So this is Niagara Falls with dramatic music. I mean, this is the love and acceptance that God offers us in Christ. This is what we have available to fill this hole that we need filled. Yeah. Right, so that's, that's God's love to us in comparison to these little cups of water that our friends can offer us to fill this void, okay? So, all that to say, first thing, we have a hole that can only be filled by God's love and acceptance, and when we try to fill it with our friend's love and acceptance, it ruins the friendship. Now, that being said, there are two types of friends in this world. There are friends who help us to keep our bucket filled up, and there are friends who drain that bucket. So, let's talk about friends who drain us first. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Okay, those that we surround ourselves with can ruin us. Proverbs 16.29 says, A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. And the entire book of Proverbs is about surrounding yourself with people who lead you in good paths and wisdom and not wicked paths and foolishness. There are people in our life who can drain this bucket that God wants to keep full for us. Um, A book that I've been reading is called Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle. It's one that uh, everyone should read, especially the young guys. And here's one thing he says. He says that we are all creatures of imitation. We all imitate those that are around us or that we surround ourselves with. Have you guys ever noticed that about yourself? You ever noticed when you start wearing clothes differently than you did the year before? Have you noticed that you start saying things that you didn't used to say? Many times it is imitating the friends or people that we admire around us. So he says this, There is that in all of us that we are always disposed to catch the ways of those with whom we live. So we're always imitating those we live with. And the more we like them, the more we like them, the stronger does the disposition grow. So the more we like someone the more our desire is to be like that person and to imitate that person. Without our being aware of it, they influence our tastes and opinions. So we find ourselves saying things like, oh, well, that's stupid or that's cool, which we didn't really used to think that way, but because our friend thinks that way, we now think that way. We gradually give up what they dislike 
and take up what they like in order to become closer to friend, closer friends with them. And worst of all, we catch their ways in things that are wrong far quicker than in things that are right. Isn't that interesting? We catch, we catch on, we imitate our friends' weaknesses and sins far quicker than we do their strengths. He says, there's no telling the harm that is done by associating with godless companions and friends. The devil has few better helps in ruining a man's soul. What he says is, he says, you could be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. You could be a, a solid church attender. And if Satan can just get you to choose a godless person as one of your best friends, he has an easy course for his work in your life. Friends who don't point you towards Christ are always pulling you away from him. Think about that for a second. Friends who don't point you towards Christ are pulling you away from him. Now, some of us might think of someone and be like, no, they're not. I have this one friend who's not doing that. He doesn't try to get me to do bad stuff. He, she doesn't cause me to sin. But it doesn't have to be an active pulling you away into, hey, let's go steal something or, or lie to your parents about this. It can be passive. It can be simply in the fact that your friend, no matter what problem you're going to, they don't have Jesus, and so they're never going to point you to Jesus. So despite the fact that your friend might be incredibly moral, they might be righteous, they might do good things, they have no ability to point you to the one who can keep your need for love and acceptance filled up because they don't know him. If they don't know Christ, they can't point you towards Christ. So... Friends who don't point you towards Christ are pulling you away from him. Even if their best intentions might be to help you and encourage you, if they don't know Christ, they can't point you towards him. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is, we're, we're hinting at this question of, can I be friends with someone who's not a Christian? Or, let's just keep it this way, can I be close friends? Right, obviously, friendship is this broad term, but can I be close friends? Well, there's, there's, the other category, which is friends who fill us. And these are Christ-centered friends. These are friends who are not trying to fill us with their own friendship. They, they don't see themselves as your savior. Rather, they're friends who are pointing you to Jesus because they know that it's only in Jesus that you will be filled up. Okay, these are the friends who point you back to the waterfall, knowing that they are offering you just a little cup of water that can't keep you filled up. Again, this is from J.C. Ryle's book. He says this, Choose friends who will benefit your soul. Friends whom you can really respect. Friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed. Friends who love the Bible and are not afraid to speak to you about it. Friends that you would not be ashamed of having at the coming of Christ and the day of judgment. Think of that. Christ returns. He's descending. You hear trumpets, um, the whole bit. And he's coming down and you're with this group of friends. Are you ashamed of the group of friends you're with? At that moment, are you wanting to distance yourself from those friends? If so, are those friends you should have? Follow the example that David sets for you, he says. David in Psalm 119 says, I'm a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. Remember the words of Solomon, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. But depend on it, listen to this, bad company in this life 
is the sure way to procure worse company in the next. Do you understand what he's saying? You choose bad friends now, and in the next life, you're going to have even worse. Heaven or hell, you choose bad friends now, and you're really not going to like the friends you're surrounded with in the next life. It's that serious. Proverbs comes as close as you can to promising us that if you choose to surround yourself with those who have no morals and those who reject Christ, you will walk in their ways. So that calls to mind this idea of, well, should we befriend all these non-Christian people as an evangelistic witness, right? You guys ever heard the phrase, flirt to convert? Okay. Girls get attracted to guys who aren't Christians, so they're going to flirt with the intention that they'll convert him someday. He'll come to Christ. It's not usually how it works. Okay? First of all, usually, um, the family and the household follows the pattern of the husband more than it does the wife. If dad doesn't go to church, if dad's not a Christian, kids aren't usually a Christian, no matter how faithful mom is in her walk with the Lord. Okay, so that whole flirt to convert thing is not a great idea. Um, J.C. Ryle, in his book, he takes a long time to talk about think down the road, young men. Think of the fact that you will most likely choose your husband or wife from a group of friends. And if you are surrounding yourself and your group of friends don't follow Christ, you're going to choose a husband or wife who doesn't follow Christ. And you're going to be in for a lifetime of struggling for your faith if you choose that. So choose your friends early and choose them as Christ followers so that you have a much better chance of getting to heaven. Early advice that we got in marriage was that marriage is like a triangle in a sense. And the same can be true of friendship, where Christ is at the tip. And then you've got the two friends, or the two, the husband and wife. And the idea is that so long as you move closer to Christ, what actually happens is that you move closer to each other. So the closer you get to Christ, the closer you get to each other. And, and I think that's a good picture of what Christ-centered friendship, the purpose of it is. You know, you might think, well, my closest friends aren't followers of Christ. But if you want to get closer to Christ, it's going to necessarily cause you to get further from these friends. And if you want to stay close to these friends, you're going to be further from Christ. But if you choose a friend who's a Christ follower, and your, your relationship, both of you are centered on Christ, the closer you both get to Christ, the closer you get to each other. Christ becomes that you two thing in the friendship, right? So you get to know each other and you say, oh, you like this too? I, I never knew. I thought I was the only one. But for Christians, we have this amazing opportunity to be friends with a huge group of people because we all share this Christ as the center of our lives. And we can all, you know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're out somewhere and you're meeting just random people and, and then something happens where you say, I'm a Christian or I go to this church. Oh, are you a Christian? And, and your hearts are kindled and you're already knit together. You've just met each other, but you both know Christ. So that you have that you too moment just because you both know Christ. And that's what Christian friendship is. That, that while we might unite with each other, so like my missionary friend, we might not unite over sports and things like that, but we love Christ. And that is what's going to knit us together. The closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to each other.
The last thing I want to talk about is this, how to be Christ-centered friends. And there's a number of passages that talk about how to be Christ-centered friends, okay? Um, let's read them here. It says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So how do we be Christ-centered friends? Well, we are righteous with our friends. And then in Hebrews, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is what a Christ-centered friend does. They're candid, they're careful, and they are pointing their friends back to Christ, saying, I see sin in your heart. Let's not go that direction. Let's both pursue Christ together. Another passage in Hebrews says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So Christ-centered friends are concerned for one another's salvation and they're always pointing each other back to Christ. So a couple application points for us today. First, three questions we're going to ask ourselves. How are you filling your need for love and acceptance? We all have this need. What are you doing to fill it? Are you trying to fill it with friends? Are you becoming a suffocating friend because you demand of those around you that they fill this hole that they can't? Or are you letting Jesus fill that void in you? It's not just something we do at conversion. It's something we do every day afterwards as well. This is one of the main reasons we wake up in the morning and we pray and we read our Bibles. It's, it's not because that's just what Christians do. That's just what religious people do. It's because that hole in our heart has, has a hole in the bottom and it's draining and it's draining and it's draining and it's draining. And every morning we need to wake up and say, God, I need you to fill me up. I need you to come and fill me up and help me through this day. Fill me with the love and acceptance that you've promised to me through the gospel. Where do you turn in your struggles? Do you turn to your friends first or do you turn to Jesus? It's okay to turn to friends when you're struggling, but do you turn to Jesus first? Is he the one you look to to fill up your need for love and acceptance? So ask yourself that. Second, are your friends, the ones you've chosen, are your friends, your closest friends, filling you or are they draining you? J.C. Ryle says, never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful to your soul. Now that sounds like you're using friends. But it's the same logic that Jesus has when he says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is eternal. Life is not. Heaven is real. So is hell. Is, are you conducting yourself in a way that confirms that those are true? Are you surrounding yourself with people who will fill your soul up and help you to make it to heaven or with those who are draining you? J.C. Ryle again says, keep company with an unsaved man and it is more than probable you will in the end become like him. If that's your closest friends, chances are you'll become like them. And finally, are you a friend who fills or a friend who drains those around you? Are you a friend who fills or a friend who... I don't care if you say you're a Christian. I don't care if you say, well, I come to church, so I must be the filling kind. Like, Nick, you should be talking to someone else about the whole draining bit. Uh, we all know. We're true to ourselves. If we think about our heart, if we think about how we act with our friends, do you point your friends to Jesus? You might say you're a Christian. You might know Jesus. Do you point your friends to him? Or do you just offer the same advice that everyone else around you is offering? Are you a different friend from the non-Christian friends in your friend's life? 
Are you Christ-centered? Do you know the Bible? Do you, know, do you even know what to say from God's word? This is not a rebuke. This isn't a, a criticism of you. It's a genuine question. You should ask yourself, if I want to be a Christ-centered friend, how in the world am I going to do that if I don't know my Bible? Great motivation to start reading your Bible so that not just for your sake, but for your friend's sake. We, we had our youth leadership team meeting this past Friday. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about how can these youth leaders disciple you. And number one on the list is they got to know their Bible. And when they come and meet with you, they better have their Bible with them. If you're meeting with someone who says they're discipling you and they're just telling you their advice in life, and oh, let me tell you what happened when I was 13, and they don't ever tell you the Bible, that's not, they're not discipling you. They're giving you advice from their own wisdom. You need the Bible. You need scripture to inform your life and help you to follow Christ. So you, as a friend, if you want to be a Christ-centered friend, you've got to know your Bible. It's not just something you're checking off in the morning just to check off. It has eternal value, not just for you, but for those around you. So those are the questions I want to leave you with. Consider them. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray for the pricked hearts right now. Pray for the hearts that are wrestling under this word. That you would guide and direct. That you would comfort and assure them of your love and your acceptance for them. Hard application would not lead to legalistic living. But it would lead to grace-based faith that says, God, only by your grace will I be someone who knows the Bible. It's only by your grace will I be a Christ-centered friend. And it's only by your grace that I'll be willing to give up those friends who are leaving me astray, leading me astray so that I might find friends who follow Christ. Help us to apply this word in our week and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, guys. Hope to see you back tonight.